Thanks so much, Jeremy. James, thanks for leading us in worship this morning. You guys are a great blessing to our church. So if you have a Bible with you this morning, can I invite you to open up with me to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians, we're going to have a special Father's Day message this morning. And if you're taking notes there in your bulletin, you'll see a little sermon uh, outline that you're welcome to fill in. And the title of the sermon this morning is, What is a Godly Father? What is a Godly Father? And so we're going to look again at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. And here's what we read the Apostle Paul writing there. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses and God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For now you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Father, we do bow our heads and our hearts before you this morning. We pray for insight into this text that we could learn how to be faithful Christians, how to learn from the example of Paul and the other apostles, and how we could learn from this, this reference here to what it means to be like a father with his children. Lord, I pray for every dad here today that we would learn what it means that we would exhort our children and encourage them and charge them to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of God. And so thank you for the privilege it is to study your word together. And I pray that you would minister to each heart by your spirit through your word in a way that would help us to be thankful for you and for our dads. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, did you hear the small boy's definition about Father's Day? He said, it's just like Mother's Day, only you don't spend as much money. <laughs> Speaking of money, there were three boys in the schoolyard who were bragging about who had the highest paid father. The first boy said, my dad scribbles a few words on a piece of paper, and he calls it a poem, and they give him $100. The second boy said, that's nothing. My dad scribbles a few words on a piece of paper and he calls it a song and they give him a thousand bucks. The third boy said, my dad is even better than that. He scribbles a few words on a piece of paper, calls it a sermon, and it takes six to eight men just to haul in all the money. <laughs> Fathers are special, aren't they? We like to brag about our dads. And we are thankful for our dads. There's no one else like them. Here's what three kids had to say bragging on their dads. The first kid said, my dad's so smart he can talk for one hour on any subject. The second kid said, my dad's so smart he can talk two hours on any subject. The third kid said, my dad's so smart he can talk for three hours and he doesn't even need a subject. <laughs> so... My dad's better than your dad, right? It's the game that kids so often play. And why is that? Because fathers are special. Fathers are irreplaceable. Fathers have an incredible opportunity to have a lifelong impact on their children. And unfortunately, not all dads take that privilege and that responsibility seriously. Executives of a greeting card company decided to do something special for Mother's Day. They set up a table in a federal prison inviting inmates to send free cards to their mom. 
the lines were so long that they had to get more cards. Due to the success of that event, they decided to do the same thing on Father's Day, but this time, not one prisoner felt the need to send a card to his dad. In fact, when asked about it, many had no idea who their fathers were. Well, dads, I don't know about you this morning, but I want to be a godly dad. And I want my kids to know who I am. And I want to engage with them and encourage them and challenge them. I want to be a faithful father. And if you're here this morning, I'm sure that you too would say, you know what, I want to point my kids to Christ. I want to be a dad who makes a difference in their lives. And I influence my kids to make a difference for the cause of Christ in this world. I don't want to be a wimp. And I don't want to be lazy. And I don't want to be selfish. I want to be a dad who's involved, a dad who cares, and a dad who's growing in my duty as a father. And there's a great difference between a bonsai tree and a California redwood. A bonsai tree is a dwarf of a tree, no more than four to six inches in height, while a redwood can grow to a height of 367 feet and more than 22 feet in width. And I want to help dads move their families from raising bonsai trees to raising redwoods. Too many homes are spiritually and biblically skinny. We need more spiritually fat homes. We need more meat on the bones. And we need to get there by helping godly fathers grow in their love for Jesus Christ. You see, God has designed the home as the place for the baton of faith to be passed on to the next generation. And our goal is that this church would not turn out people who are shallow in their faith, but who are strong in their faith and pass that faith on to their kids. It's only the sovereignty of God that can do that. We understand that. But we want to be faithful so that we can see a generation growing after us that would be vibrant for years to come. And so I want to ask the question this morning, what is a godly Father. And to answer that question, I want to give you five headings from 1 Thessalonians 2, 9-12 about how to become a godly dad. Now, as we're looking at this text, I understand this text was not written with the idea of Father's Day in mind. And there's a lot of general truths in this text. However, since verse 11 focuses on how like a father with his children is, I want to just take some of the general truths we see in 9 through 12, and let's just kind of apply some of that a little bit to how we all want to be, but especially dads this morning as godly dads. And so the first one is this, how to become a godly dad. Number one, a godly father is a hard worker. A godly father is a hard worker. Verse 9, for you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we may not be a burden to any of you. Here in 1 Thessalonians, Paul is commending these believers on how in many ways they had formed a model church. The church of Thessalonica was exemplary in their faith. They were diligent in their service, and they were patient in their steadfastness. They were overflowing with joy. And Paul also encouraged the Thessalonians to excel still more. He exhorts them to continue to grow in their faith. He, he exhorts them that they would increase in their love for one another and that they would give thanks in all things. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul reminds them that his coming had not been in vain. 
Paul had boldly proclaimed the gospel in their midst, and the Thessalonians had been approved by God. As believers, they were to live and please God, not man, and they were to seek the glory of God in all things. And then in verse 7, we see here, verse 7 says, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. And so Paul talks about how he and some of the other workers with him had been there with the Thessalonians, and at times they were evaluating their behavior of being comparable to that to a gentle mother, just like a mom would nurse her children and take care of her own children. Paul and the other apostles had taken the time to do that with these Thessalonians. In fact, they had imparted their own lives to them. They didn't just come in to preach at them. They came in to live with them, and the gentleness and the kindness of a loving relationship was fostered like there would be between a mom and her children. And as we look at verses 9 through 12, we see that not only did Paul love the Thessalonians like a mother taking care of her children, but he also loved them like a father who would also spend time with his children. Verse 11, for you know like a father with his children. And so Paul was a spiritual father to many. And part of being a spiritual father was being a leader. And a father's duty is to lead by example, setting the standard of virtuous integrity within his family. I believe that we see here in verses 9 through 12, five examples of a godly father. The first one, again, that we're looking at, a godly father is a hard worker. Paul says that if they will remember that when he was with them, he was a hard worker. There was a lot of labor, verse 9 says. There was a lot of toil. The word labor here literally means to engage in activity that is burdensome. Money didn't come easily in the first century, and it doesn't come easy now. You have to labor for it. And Paul said that he labored and he toiled. To toil means to exert yourself. It means to endure hardship. And part of being a man, and part of what it takes, and, and what it takes for you to be a godly father, is you know how to work hard. Boys don't know how to work hard. Boys like to play. Boys like to joke around. Boys know how to waste time. Boys like to play video games. But men work. All right, some men play video games, but I'm trying to challenge you out of that boyhood stage into being a man, right? And godly dads are known or ought to be known for being hard workers. And what kind of work did Paul do? Well, according to Acts 18, and you know this, verse 3, Paul, when he was in Corinth, was described himself as being a what? A tent maker. Acts 18.3, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked for they were tent makers by trade. A tent maker was a difficult task in the first century. It wasn't an easy job. It required physical strength, long days of labor, and hardcore sweat. You had to work with heavy animal skins, coarse, itchy ropes, and heavy wooden poles. And this was a blue-collar job in the ancient world, and there was no lightweight canvas, there was no manufactured rods to put together, and there were no pop-up tents. Right, this is like old-style tent making. This is a heavy-duty job, and Paul worked hard, and he worked hard by day, and he worked hard by night. He was a bivocational missionary. He was not 100% supported. He supported himself. 
He likely had 60 to 80 hour weeks as he worked out in the sun all day. And in the evening, he was no doubt studying to preach, participating in small group discipleship gatherings, and was surely involved in biblical counseling. Why was Paul working so hard? Well, one reason was that the false teachers were known to ask for and even demand money to be given to them for their services. And so Paul desperately wanted to distance himself from the false teachers who lived for money. And so there was a refreshing approach to Paul's ministry, who was a man's man, who would work hard just like others, and he was able to relate to others, and he could even boast about not being a burden to anyone. Now, one of the best passages in the Bible that talks about working hard is actually in 2 Thessalonians. Why don't you turn over there with me? You're in 1 Thessalonians. But in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 through 14, this is probably the best passage in the Bible exhorting us all to be hard workers. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6, Now we commend you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness, not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you. That means they didn't play video games when they were hanging out. Right? These guys were busy. Verse 9, nor did we eat anyone else's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we may not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in and of ourselves an example to imitate for even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Now there's the most classic, straightforward text in the Bible about being a hard worker. You know what, dads? You ought to show this passage to your son. Next time you feel like your son's goofing off and their schoolwork or wasting away their whole summer just wanting to go from one entertainment thing to another, and by the way, summers are for having fun, all right? I'm not a total killjoy, all right? We have a ton of fun in our home, but I'm just saying, why not also just remind them that they need to be workers? This passage, the one in 2 Thessalonians that we just read, this passage is saying, don't be a moocher. Don't have a failure to launch into society as a hard worker who can provide for you and your family. Don't depend on welfare if you can at all help it. We understand welfare is there, it's available to those in a time of need, but what I'm saying is that we don't want to lean back on that as a hammock because we're lazy, right? We want to be hard workers. A godly dad is a hard worker. A godly dad makes his family proud. A godly dad brings home the paycheck and he doesn't waste it on alcohol or on gambling or on other frivolous hobbies. A godly dad takes care of his family. In fact, 1 Timothy 5.8 says, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So how about it, dads? Are you a hard worker this morning? Are you doing your work as unto the Lord? Are you laboring to provide for your family 
Are you teaching your kids to work? Are you including them even in chores around the house or in the yard? Are you cheerful in your work? Are you grateful for your job? Are you a hard worker? Not only is a godly dad a hard worker, but he's also, number two, a godly dad is a gospel proclaimer. He's a gospel proclaimer. Notice the end of verse 9. It says they didn't want to be a burden to any of them while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. The whole reason that Paul worked so hard was so that he could be a faithful witness in the world. And Paul was able to work hard all day and do gospel ministry at night. Paul worked to support himself. And in his free time, he worked for the Lord. And his desire was not to have to depend on anyone else to support his gospel outreach. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 18, What then is my reward? That in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge. Paul took great delight in that. He's like, hey, I work hard. I support myself because I want to preach the gospel and I don't depend on anybody. I'm going to preach it free of charge. That was like a reward to Paul. That was a joy for him. That was a privilege for him. Paul delighted in being able to travel and to preach the gospel without charging anyone ever. Paul could have demanded payment as an apostle, but he chose not to. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, if you look up at verse 6, it says, Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. So he's saying, hey, we could have like demanded that you pay a certain amount, but we didn't do that. Remember, he wanted to, to not confuse his listeners with the, 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 with the false teachers. And so he's very sensitive about money. And Paul decided that he would just trust God to provide and that he would do whatever it took to continue uh, to tent make as well as preach the gospel. Now, you might be hearing something like that and be like, well, why did we pay our pastor then? Well, there's other verses that talk about this. First Timothy 5, 17 and 18, it says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain and the laborer deserves his wages. So as anything in the Bible, there's a balance to what's being said and what's being taught. It's a good thing to support your pastor. It's a good thing that we support missionaries. We are thankful that we support uh, about 12 to 15 various family units who are on the mission field right now. Uh, we're so thankful for that. In fact, Paul never refused financial support when it was offered to him. Philippians 4, 15 and 16 says, As you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into that partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. So he's saying when he started his ministry, it was just the church of Philippi who did support him. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. So he did have supporting churches. He just didn't demand that they support. It was all voluntary. Now, again, you may be saying, Adam, I thought this was a Father's Day message for dads, not about supporting pastors and missionaries. Well, it is. Did you know that a hard work, that being a hardworking dad gives you a platform to make sure the proclamation of the gospel is going forth? When you are a hardworking dad, you're able to help your pastor and missionaries do the work of the gospel, and you're able to do it yourself. You are a missionary right where you live and right at your job. 
And if you're a hard worker in your job, then you're going to have an opportunity to proclaim the gospel. If you are lazy and undependable and shoddy in your work, then people will not respect you. And not only will they not respect you, they won't trust you and they won't want to listen to you or be around you. But if you are a hard worker, people will take more of an interest in your success and be more likely to listen to what it is you have to say. Notice I didn't say to be rich. I just said to be a hard worker. It's not about how much you make. It's about how you go about your daily business. And I believe that part of being a godly dad is that you work hard and you proclaim the gospel with your life. And when given opportunity with your words, and a godly dad seeks to be a witness at work. A godly dad seeks to proclaim the gospel with his life. A godly dad seeks to share the gospel with his neighbors. A godly dad looks for opportunities when given the opportunity maybe to go on a short-term mission trip one day with his kids or with the family. A godly dad takes the opportunity to proclaim the gospel wherever he is in the ebb and flow of life. And I love how Paul paints this picture in Philippians 2.22, but you know Timothy's proven worth, how a son, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. So again, there's that spiritual connection that's used as an illustration. Paul's a spiritual father to Timothy, and they work together in sharing the gospel. And so there's an understanding that how a son is with a father is a reference to how a father spends lots of time uh, with his son. And a son spends lots of time learning from his father. In fact, in the ancient world, apprenticeship was by far the most uh, common form of training. So that meant whatever the father did, the son was also trained to do. So if the father was a fisherman, the son was trained to fish. If the father was a carpenter, the son was trained to build things. If the, far, if the, if the father was a farmer, uh, then the, the child would have been taught and trained how to farm. And that means that part of being a godly dad is that you proclaim the gospel with your life and your words, and then you train your children how to proclaim the gospel with their lives and with their words. And so let me ask you dads this morning, are you proclaiming the gospel at work? Are you proclaiming the gospel at home? Are you proclaiming the gospel with your children? Are you interacting with them and what it means to be a godly man? And a godly man is a man who loves God. And a man who loves God can't help but to share the gospel in various situations, whether it's at work, whether it's outside working with your neighbor, whether you're at a restaurant ordering a meal, whether you're sitting on an airplane, whether you're on vacation, wherever you are, when those kids look at dad, they ought to almost feel embarrassed saying, you know what, dad's about to stop this whole thing because he's going to try to share the gospel with that person. And then when your kids mature a little bit more, not only are they embarrassed, but they're going to start praying. Like, God, are you going to share the gospel with him? Dad, are you going to share the gospel with that guy? You know, that's the kind of dads that we want. We want to have dads who are godly. And uh, dads who are godly are evangelistic. And we're to be living life on mission is all we're saying, right? And so dads, I hope and pray that you're teaching your kids the gospel and that you're teaching your kids how to proclaim the gospel. All right, a third heading about godly fathers is this. Number three, a godly father is a blameless example. He's a blameless example. Notice verse 10 says, you are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. Now, obviously, again, I've already made the statement that this is not necessarily a total Father's Day type passage, but in this passage, he's just saying, look, 
as a godly witness, we wanted to remain holy and righteous and blameless in our conduct toward you. If you look at verse 11, and he starts to use that illustration again, like a father with his children. So there is tied into this passage a little bit of this, think of it as a father and a, and a child. But here we're saying that a godly dad, when we say he needs to be a blameless example, he's not perfect, but he is a man of God. To be blameless means to be without fault or without blame. It means that there is no active charge against someone. You get that? A, a, a dad, a godly dad sins and they fall, but they confess and they repent of their sin. And so after they confess and repent of their sin, they're now blameless again because there's not an active charge against their character. Because anything that they've done that was wrong has been made right by that dad seeking the forgiveness of God. And so here, Paul is describing his life as one uh, that had a conduct that was holy, righteous, and blameless. Again, he's not saying that he's holier than thou. He's acknowledging what theologians refer to here as imputed righteousness. That even though Jesus says you are to be perfect, just as your heavenly Father is perfect, Matthew 5.48, we know that this is impossible. We are sinners, and all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the truth of the matter is that on our own and by our own efforts, we can't possibly be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. I mean, it's just not possible, right? We don't love God all the time with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We don't always love our neighbor as God calls us to as we love ourselves. We, we have a problem, and it's called sin, and we are born with it, and we cannot overcome the effects of it on our own. Sin radically affects us to the core. Sin affects what we do and what we say and what we think. In other words, it taints everything about us. Therefore, no matter how good we try to be, we will never meet God's standard of perfection. The Bible says that our best works are like filthy rags. Our own righteousness is simply not good enough, and it will never be, no matter how hard you try. This is what he's saying here dads, you can't fake it. You, can, you, you, just can't, you can't just act like you're a godly dad if you're not. And so the question is, well, how do I become blameless? How do I become holy? How do I become righteous? Well, we talked about it's that imputed righteousness of Christ. We're made holy and we're made righteous by the righteousness of Christ. Paul writes this in Romans 3, 21 through 22, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And so what he's saying there is you can't be righteous by keeping the law. You can't be righteous by just trying to do more and try harder to be a good dad. You can only be made righteous by repenting of your sin, confessing Christ as your savior, having the righteousness of God revealed to you in the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's through our faith in Christ. The righteousness of God is given to us. This is called imputed righteousness. To impute something is to ascribe or to attribute something to someone. When we place our faith in Christ, God ascribes the perfect righteousness of Christ to our account so that we become perfect in his sight. It's 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so not only 
is Christ's righteousness imputed to us through faith, but our sin is imputed to Christ. That's how Christ paid our sin debt. He had no sin in himself, but our sin is imputed to him so that as he suffers on the cross, he is suffering the just penalty that our sin deserves. And that's why Paul can say in verses like Galatians 2.20 that I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And probably the best example I know in the scripture of a blameless dad. By the way, if you were a pastor and you were trying to pick a great text for a Father's Day sermon, it's harder than you think. Because there's a lot of bad examples throughout the Bible. Because there's a lot of bad dads, including you and me, right? But one of the best pictures of a, of a blameless dad has to be Job. And in fact, in Job chapter 1, he's described this way. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless, upright, one who feared God, and he turned away from evil. And we know he's a godly man. He was married to his wife. They had together, the Bible tells us, seven sons and three daughters. He was the kind of man who would provide for his children. He was the kind of man who would pray for his children just in case one of them had been at odds with God. He would beg God for mercy on his kids' account. And so this guy, Job, is certainly one of many uh, examples in the Bible, but this one is an incredible example. And so we could ask this morning, how about it, dads? How would you be described if God were writing your life story this morning? Are you blameless? Are you walking uprightly? Are you fearing God? Do you make it your habit to turn away from evil? Are you that example that your kids could look to and say, hey, dad doesn't just tell us what to do. He shows us what to do. And dad's not just saying, don't talk like this and don't act like this. And then he himself is talking like that and acting like that. No, my dad teaches me by example. I mean, my heart was challenged this week as I was listening to that song. Maybe you know it by Casting Crowns called Slow Fade. Remember that song? The lyrics go like this, be careful little eyes what you see. It's the second glance that ties your hands as darkness pulls the strings. Be careful little feet where you go for it's the little feet behind you that are sure to follow. It's a slow fade when you give yourself away. It's a slow fade when black and white are turned to gray and thoughts invade. Choices are made. A price will be paid when you give yourself away. People never crumble in a day. It's a slow fade. It's a slow fade. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above is looking down in love. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Dads, are you fading in your spiritual vitality? Are you beginning to dabble with the things of this world in a way that would kill your reputation? How about it, dads? Are you being careful about what you see? Are you rationalizing your sin? Be careful, little feet, where you go, for it's the little feet behind you that are sure to follow. My prayer would be that the men in this church would be pure. My prayer is that the men in this church would be dads that are blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. 
I am praying that you would be holy and righteous and blameless in all of your conduct. And the only way for that to happen is for you to love Jesus more. That you love him more than yourself. That you love him more than your job. That you love him more than your hobby. And that you set an example out in your family of what it looks like to be a hard worker. To be a gospel proclaimer. To have a blameless example. And our fourth heading here of being a godly father is a godly father is a faithful disciplinarian. A godly father is a faithful disciplinarian. Again, look at verse 11. For you know how, like a father with his children. When verse 11 says that Paul was like a father with his children for the believers in Thessalonica, he goes on to talk about how he exhorted them and he encouraged them and he charged them to walk in a manner worthy of God. But the commentaries on verse 11 say that this verse, like a father with his children, infers godly discipline. For example, the Bible Knowledge Commentary states, quote, here the implication is that they trained and instructed the Thessalonians as a responsible father disciplines his children, close quote. We're told this maybe even more clearly and specifically in Ephesians 6, 4, fathers do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. There are too many Christian homes that are getting too relaxed when it comes to discipline. There are too many parents resorting to bribing, over-rewarding, and even begging in order to get your kids to obey. Now, dads are not to provoke their children to anger by being overprotective or by giving them too much freedom. You could provoke your child to anger by showing favoritism to some child while neglecting another. You could provoke your children to anger by chastising them harshly in front of others. You could provoke that child to anger by constantly pushing them to achieve more. You could provoke your children by getting angry at them or by yelling at them or by humiliating them in any way. And so having stated the negative, again, Ephesians 6, 4, fathers, don't provoke your children. Paul moves on to the positive, and he says, bring them up. That means to raise your children. To bring them up also means to nourish them and to rear them. And how are we to raise our children in discipline and in instruction? The word discipline means to train them and to correct them. And how does that happen? Well, when the children are younger, it means that you use the rod of correction. Proverbs twenty-two fifteen: folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Proverbs nineteen eighteen: discipline your son, for there is hope. Proverbs 23, 13 through 14, do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with the rod, he will not die. If you strike him with the rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. The way to a child's heart is through his bottom. That's how you get there. You want to get after it with a younger child and be able to get their attention and to speak words of kindness and love and grace and at the same time truth and correction. You need to be using the rod of correction. And it may be that God uses the faithful discipline of a parent to save their child from hell. 
I mean, this is just straight Proverbs, people. Read it. Be encouraged by it. Don't listen to all the psychologists out there about how to bring up kids without discipline. It's a bunch of baloney. Go to the Word of God. Trust it as it works. And it doesn't just take one time. My goodness, I've been in my office talking with parents before about kids, and they say, well, I tried to spank my kids. It didn't work. I'm like, how many times did you try? They're like, at least twice, maybe three times. And I'm like, you ought to be doing that per day. <laughs> like, per day. And even if you don't think it's working, you certainly don't know better than God does about what his word says about training your child. Now, obviously, that's to be done lovingly, patiently, kindly, in a private place. We've talked about some of those things. And why don't you just turn with me to Hebrews 12? I want you to see it for yourself in a real balanced way here. Hebrews 12, 5 through 11. It's a beautiful passage about how the discipline of the Lord is not done out of hate, but out of love. The discipline of the Lord is not done to crush, but it's to cultivate a heart of obedience. The discipline of the Lord is not so much punitive as it is corrective. And in Hebrews 12, 5 is a model of what we're talking about. And have you forgotten, the writer of Hebrews says, verse 5, the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which we have all participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Let me encourage you, dads. This verse, this chapter this, uh, of, of Hebrews 12, the Proverbs I read, Ephesians 6, this, uh, these passages teach that you are to spank your children. You are to do this because you love them. You are to do this out of obedience to God. You are to trust by faith that God uses godly discipline to yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And at times it may be appropriate to use other forms of discipline. At times in a public place like time out. As the kid gets older, obviously you're transitioning away from physical corporal punishment into grounding or loss of privileges. Uh, there's a lot of different ways you can word it, but there's other ways to bring consequences to a child's sin. So dads, please don't forget that this is part of your duty. Mama can't do it on her own. She needs a father who will engage at home with the primary role of being a loving disciplinarian. And let me remind you, please don't forget, it's to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That means that you're not just there to spank them. Sometimes you get home from work, you're tired, mama's tired, said, you got to give this kid right here a whooping, and you're just tempted to grab that kid over there and give him a whooping and then go about the rest of your day. That's how they do it in the South, by the way. All right, but the idea is you, just can't, you can't just do that. You don't just walk in and mama's like, they're yours, and you take them up there and spank them. 
No, 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 it's the discipline and instruction, which means in that moment, you're trying to get to their heart, right? You're spanking your kids, not just to spank them or to keep them quiet or in line. You are taking the time to instruct your child. And that means that you need to teach your child and to talk with them about whatever it is that they want to talk about and about whatever it is that's going on. And then you connect that with what the Bible says about what should have been happening. Now, don't be like that father who just doesn't really connect or engage in conversation with your child. There was a father who went fishing with his son one day, and after a couple of hours out on the boat, the boy suddenly became curious about the world around him. And he asked his father, how does this boat float? The father thought about it for a moment and replied, don't rightly know, son. The boy returned to his contemplation, and he turned back to his father, and he says, how do fish breathe underwater? Once again, the father replied, don't rightly know, son. A little later, the boy asked his father, why is the sky blue? Again, the father replied, don't rightly know, son. Worried that he was going to annoy his father, the boy says, dad, do you mind my asking you all of these questions? Of course not, son. If you don't ask questions, you'll never learn anything. <laughs> right? You don't want to be that dad who's not really just talking about it. Dads oftentimes struggle as men. I'm stereotyping men here for a moment, but I can do that because I'm a man, all right? But men struggle with communication. What we're asking you to do is open up words of communication as you instruct your children. The word instruct here is the word nutheteo. It means to put into the mind. It means to admonish, to warn, to instruct and you have a responsibility to get to your child's heart and to ask them what it was that they were thinking and to ask them what it was that they were wanting in that moment and to show them potential idols in their heart and to remind them that loving Jesus more means to obey right away, all the way, and with a happy heart. Show them from God's word a better way. Take the time to teach them the scriptures. Lead your family to God by reading the Bible together and talking about it and praying together and worshiping together as a family. I mean, do you feel like at times your home is a mess? Is there conflict on every side? Are your children out of control? It could be your fault. Yes, your kids are sinners, but you are called as parents and especially as dads to engage in this kind of biblical parenting because you love your children and you want to honor God. And let me encourage you, dads, you can do this. Dads, this is the DNA of what it means to be a Christian dad. If Christ is in you, the hope of glory will help you be the dad that God's called you to be. Press on. Don't give up. Keep growing as a dad. Stay dependent on the Lord. Be humble. It meant that you need help. Look to God's word and trust in God's power to help you be a faithful disciplinarian. The last description of a godly father that I want to give you from this passage is number five. A godly father is a constant encourager. He is a constant encourager. Verse 12, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Remember, Paul is saying, like a father with his children, we exhorted you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a worthy manner. So dads are to exhort their children. This means to urge strongly. 
To exhort them means to beseech them or even to cheer them on. The word exhort literally means to call alongside. The word is parakaleo, which is one of the uh, noun forms. Parakaletos is one of the titles of the Holy Spirit. Right? The Holy Spirit is our helper. The Holy Spirit is our paraclete. The Holy Spirit comes alongside of us to help us. And so as a dad, as you exhort your children, a father is to come alongside his father or his daughter and to help them honor God in their lives. It's telling them and helping them. It's teaching them and training them. It's instructing them and getting involved together with them. Just like you can't live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit's help, right? Jesus said, I will ask the Father and he will give another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, John 14, 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So that's part of your role as a dad. Not only are fathers to exhort their children, but you are to encourage them as well. To encourage your child means that you console them, that you cheer them up. It, it means that you are there for them on their worst day and you're listening. It means that you're aware of your child's ups and downs, that you're acquainted with their frustrations and their difficulties. And as a dad, you're aware of what's going on in your child's life and you are want to encourage them. You want to build them up with your words. You want to strengthen them with your prayers. You want to remind them of their identity in Christ. You want to give them a hug and you want to pat them on the back and you want to remind them that they can be an overcomer in Christ. We're reading something very similar in Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, when Paul says, I therefore, as a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. That's part of what it means to be an encourager. You're just all in it all the time. You're just involved as a dad. That's what dads do. We exhort, we encourage, and then it says, and to charge, which means to insist or to implore their children. Uh, this, this is what a spiritual father does with a spiritual child. So this also sh should be what an earthly father does with an earthly child to help that child walk in a manner worthy of God. A child needs the gentleness of a mom and the strength of a dad. And dads are to always be kind, but a dad needs to light a fire under his kids. There's a lot of gentleness and nurturing that goes on, and that's good and faithful, and sometimes as a dad, you can do that. But you also need to be the one who steps up, and you step in line, and you straighten your back, and you address your child in a kind, gracious, firm way. Dads, are you exhorting your kids to go after God? Are you there for them, encouraging them when they fail on hard times? Are you charging them and challenging them to raise themselves with God's help to that occasion? Are you leading a family in a way that your family is walking in a manner worthy of the gospel? Well, dads, I pray that God will give you the strength and the wisdom as you have the privilege of being a godly dad. There was a little boy and his father who were driving down a country road on a beautiful spring afternoon. Suddenly, out of nowhere, a bumblebee flew into the car through the window. And since the little boy was deathly allergic to the bee stings, 
he became petrified. His father quickly reached out, grabbed the bee, and squeezed it in his hand, and then he released it. But as soon as he let it go, the young son became frantic once again as it buzzed by the little boy. The father sensed the son's terror. Once again, he reached out his hand, and this time he pointed into the palm of his hand, and he said, there stuck in the skin was the stinger of the bee. He said, do you see this? The father asked, you don't need to be afraid anymore. I've taken the sting for you. A godly dad will sacrifice whatever comfort, whatever cost, and whatever he can for the spiritual development of his child. And only Christ can die in our place and take away the sting and the consequence of sin. But a godly dad can constantly point their kids to Christ and be a picture of Christ in how they live and interact with their families every day. So may God help you on this Father's Day learn what it means to labor and to toil, to proclaim the gospel of God, to be blameless in all of your conduct, to lovingly instruct and discipline your children, and to be a constant encourager. May God help you be a godly father. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the opportunity to look at this passage of Scripture in a general way, and then also see some of the implications here of how a father ought to be with his child. And we pray, God, for encouragement today. We pray for exhortation today. We pray for this charge that the Apostle Paul gave to the Thessalonians to be received by every godly dad in this room on this day. God, we want to thank you for giving us dads. And we want to thank you for the faithfulness of so many of our fathers who've just done their best. And Lord, this isn't a sermon for us to, to beat up on any dad for any reason. This is a sermon from your word to remind us of what you've called us to be and to do it in your power, in your strength, for your glory. And so God, I'm just praising, I'm praying that you would help us to raise the bar in our own uh, desire to be godly dads, that we wouldn't do it in our own effort, that we wouldn't somehow try to fake it, that we would be reminded it's only because of the imputed righteousness of Christ that we can be made blameless and holy and righteous before you. And so I pray, God, that you would, again, take this passage, mend it to our hearts, help it to produce fruit in our lives, is we want more than anything this morning to please and honor you as our heavenly Father. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.